Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. Another week and another 49ers lost by less than three points. And this one, like last week, came in overtime. This time at the hands of the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Zane Nackvi with Al Sacco. This is the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Al, you know, they, they're getting close, but they just, they just can't get over that hump. And it, it, they are getting so close. And little signs here, little things that we're seeing that this team might be about to start going in the right direction. As, as bleak as it seems at 0-5, as tough as it is to believe when the losses keep piling up. Listen, you're talking four losses by, what is it, 11 total points now? Mm-hmm. Um, two of them have been in overtime. It's just been heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. This team's right in it. And listen, they, Kyle Shanahan said it, and he's right. They really are a few plays away from being four and one or, you know, three and two yeah. at the worst, which is yeah. kind of crazy to think when you look at an 0 and 5 team. And the, there are still issues with the offense. It's not consistent. But I, I truly believe that when you look at, the guys that sort of aren't performing or, you know, the receivers are struggling. There's, there's struggles with the quarterback. These are placeholders in those positions for the most part. And the guys that you want to see grow, somebody like George Kittle, we, we saw that in week five and, and, you know, we see DeForest Buckner every week. So I feel like there are some positive notes here. And and I know we want to kind of take a positive vibe to this. And because I think things are headed in the right direction. I do feel the same way. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's the first time actually since, since the, Oilers of the mid mid nineties and the early nineties that a team has lost four straight games by by less than three points. It's only the second time in the Super Bowl era that this has ever happened. So this is this is not you see teams usually getting a win or two out of these types of games. This is not normal. This is not this does not happen. They're 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 really close, Al. I think they're they're eventually they'll get over that hump and and like Jim Harbaugh used to say, like the, the things come out like a can of olives, like the the wins will pile up. And, and that olive jar will come loose and the winds will start piling up after that. But I think right now they're, they're just kind of learning how to compete and learning. They've got to learn how to win as well. So um, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll see a couple wins this year. And most of all, you're, you're going to see a lot of progress. And we'll talk about too, there, there was a little bit of drama with Carlos Hyde and Navarro Bowman um, sitting out some plays. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Lorenzo, Lorenzo Jerome getting released to, you know, obviously we're a big fan of Lorenzo. We've had him on the show. Um, hopefully he'll end up back on the practice squad. We'll talk about Leon Hall, who was signed as well. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the game. We'll look forward to week six. But before that, as we always do, we're going to bring on our guest, and he is the vice president of communications for the 49ers. Great conversation with him. It was so cool to hear his background, um, how he got started with the 49ers, and some cool behind-the-scenes things. Um, and his name is Bob Lang, and here is Bob. A veteran of 19 NFL seasons, he's currently in his ninth year with the 49ers and third as the team's vice president of communications. He is Mr. Bob Ling. Bob, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. We're so excited to have you here and be able to talk to you a little bit. And now I know originally you're an East Coaster like myself, and you actually grew <laughs> up in Philadelphia. Can you take us through your career and how you ended up on the West Coast and, and working for the 49ers? Yeah, actually, uh, it it uh, kind of hit me out of the out of the blue. I never in my life thought I'd I'd move to the other coast, and here I am. Nine years later, I'm still here. Um, you know, I was uh, I was a uh, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, for a little over ten years, and told um, uh, spent one year uh, as an intern before in 1998. wasn't the uh, wasn't the greatest season, but I learned a heck of a lot. We it was 1998. We were three and thirteen, and and uh, parlayed that into a, uh, a full-time job at Temple University as uh, as the football SID, sports information director there for a year and a half, and and ended up going back to the Eagles in 2001 uh, when they when they reorganized their PR department there, and 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 spent uh, the next eight and a half years there before coming out to San Francisco. So uh, a long road uh, in the NFL. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I know a lot of people would like to, to work in sports, and we always talk about in order to get into sports, you've got to be willing to pay your dues and be an intern, making no money, and, and working crazy hours. And that's kind of the that's kind of the standard uh, story with people who, who who break into sports and get into the industry. And that's exactly what I did. So uh, happy to be here. 
uh, took a while to, to be able to, uh, to run my own department. That was always my goal. And, uh, you know, that, that opportunity presented itself in, um, in, uh, 2000, early 2009. And I've been loving it since. Now, how did that come about with the 49ers? Was it something where like, you know, you, you applied to, did you have a contact there? How did it work that you actually got your foot in the door? No, quite, quite frankly, uh, it was the, uh, year after Mike Singletary had served as the interim to finish the season, uh, when Mike Nolan was let go. Uh, and oftentimes you see things change over when, when coaching staffs change and, and, um, uh, they made a change in their PR department and then the job opened up. And quite frankly, I, I looked at it, uh, as a lot of people would. I mean, this is the San Francisco 49ers, one of the marquee sports organizations in all of, uh, in all the world. And, uh, there was a job. Uh, granted, I knew that they had been on tough times and, um, you know, I just kind of threw my hat in the ring, uh, people that I knew that knew people here in San Francisco, uh, media members that I'd come in contact from my years in Philadelphia, uh, that knew people in the organization. Um, Scott McLuhan at the time, uh, made sure to get some, some folks to get my resume in front of him and put in a plug for me. I mean, that's really what happened. I mean, I just kind of, uh, used, uh, used everybody that I knew that, that might have an in, uh, to help sell me a little bit. And then, uh, it was a process too, because they went through a, a number of people. Um, they interviewed a number of people before I had my opportunity to uh, to to interview, and and I was lucky that uh, I guess I sealed the deal because I was the last one to interview, and they they offered me the job. They had me spend an extra night in town and offered me the job the next day. So uh, wow. I guess I did something right. That's great. That's great. Now speaking for Forty ers Web Zone, and e- even before we partnered with USA Today Sports, you and the Forty ers have always been so accommodating to us. And honestly, we've mm-hmm. mentioned on the show before. And now that I have you here, we can, I can thank you in person. You've been very accommodating t- to the website, and, and we know there are some NFL teams who maybe aren't as accommodating, and that's understandable considering the amount of requests the PR department gets and how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. So can you tell the fans a little bit about what a k- typical day is like for you, your job responsibilities, and just how crazy things can get? <laughs> uh, well, I think we've had our fair share of, uh, of unique storylines around here over the years since I got here, and, and every day is new, and, and every day presents different opportunities, different challenges, uh, and I think, honestly, if I was to tell you, that's what I love the most. I love, I love being put in a situation where we've got to figure things out. Uh, where we've got to make sure that the right story's out there, and sometimes we're we're successful with it. Sometimes we're we're not as successful as we would have liked. But um, quite frankly, every day is different. Um, you know, I think when you get into the season, I think coaches, players, and staff will tell you that once you get to the regular season, every week kind of has the same routine. Um, that's probably where it gets to be more regular, and you can expect your Mondays to be a certain way, your Tuesdays to be a, a certain way. Um, but uh, but then again, you have a Monday night game and your schedule's completely thrown off by a day. You, you have a Thursday night game and your schedule's really thrown off and you've got to cram, you know, what you normally would do in six or seven days preparing for the next game. You've got to cram that into into three and a half to four days. Um, so it's it's very similar to what the what you hear the coaches talk about um, the short prep. Uh, the need to get, you know, refocused and onto the next game right away, onto the next team, onto the next storylines that come up. Um, same thing with, with players, you know, they've got to get their bodies recovered and get their minds right and focused on the next game. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the season gets into a more of a regular routine. And, and the nice thing is, is, is being in the media world, you guys get to follow along with what our days are like, because any of the storylines that you see, any of the press conferences that you see, that's really what our days revolve around is trying to, you know, help convey those things to the fans through the media, through our own website, through our social media channels. Um, you get to, you know, that's, that's kind of the neat thing is that my job, everybody, everybody that's a fan gets to kind of follow along what we're doing every day. It's, it's actually really funny because, you know, for a while there, uh, my wife, my wife used to joke that, that she would follow our website and, and, and 49ers web zone and pro football talk and know what my day was like before I walked in the door. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what it's like. I mean, it's, it's, it's there, most of what we do is reflected out in the, the general public. So there's really, there's really no high what I spend my days on because you just have to open up the internet to find out. Yeah. And is, is social media a blessing or a curse or a little bit of both? Because everything's right there now and everybody has their own opinions and there's rumors that can fly out there instantly. Does that drive you a little bit Absolutely. crazy or? Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny because, you know, we always talk about how uh, technology is supposed to make our lives easier, but I think everybody can attest now that you have email and now that you have smartphones, 
Um, you're probably working more and doing more related to work in your free time or when you might be at home when you're supposed to be sitting on your couch spending time with your wife or your kids and you're, you're looking at your phone and, and checking on things. I mean, that's not just in this industry. That's in, that's in every industry. I mean, mm-hmm. any, anything you do now, you know, technology has made everybody so much more accessible. So the amount of true downtime you get is, is not, is not what it used to be 20 years ago, um, before cell phones, before email, before the internet. Um, you know, I would say that, that it is a blessing and a curse. I think it's a blessing because, um, we have the ability to get things out about our organization very quickly. Um, it can come directly from us and reach a ton of people at the drop of a, or at the hit of a button. Um, you know, but like you stated, it, sometimes, you know, there, there are negative stories or in, in, inaccurate stories that get out there. And before, you know, you have a chance to, you know, really think, even think about it and finish reading an article, everybody believes what's already been written right. and uh so yeah it does it's it's a blessing and it's a curse um i think we try to make it a blessing we've we've tried to understand it adapt to it and evolve with it so that we're using it uh, more strategically uh in order to engage our fans educate our fans educate the media um educate you know using it to to, to basically tell our story and make sure the right story is out there and and that's that's what our department that's what our digital content team does um and uh do we always do it 100 percent perfectly uh i no, i wish we did but i think that's any anybody in any job you, you have your days that uh you wish you could have back but um yeah we try to we try to make the most of it and use it to our advantage use it to our fans advantage Now, all NFL franchises have turnover in their front office and coaching staff, and the 49ers have certainly had their share of theirs over the past few years. How challenging is that for you in your position in terms of learning learning the new personalities, et cetera, when new people come in? Well, it's not as challenging it is uh, as it, in my department as it is to uh, Dan Beckler and Mike Chazanoff, who have to write uh, the bios on all of the folks that have come through here. <laughs> um, they're the ones that have have carpal tunnel syndrome from the last couple of years. But but hey, you know, I, I think um, yeah, it's challenging. But but I think one of the reasons I love this job is because I get to come in contact with a, with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. I get to have relationships with folks that that have really interesting backgrounds and and I can learn from and hopefully I can help learn from me and and share some things and some tricks of the trade, you know, dealing with folks that you know that that's a challenge. It is a challenge, but um you know, I think uh I think you know, Jed, Jed York has said it before, you know, when you've, when you've made a mistake and you, you, sometimes the toughest thing to do is, is to make the tough decision and correct it. Um, admit that, that, that you made one mistake and, or, and just really try to, you know, move on from it, learn from it. And, and that's, you know, that's what we've done in the last couple of years. You know, things haven't worked out with previous coaching staff and, and other staff and personnel. And sometimes in order to move forward, you have to take a, take a minute, step back, make some changes and, uh, do your best in the next decision. And I think that's what we've tried to do in, in every facet of the organization around here. And it seems like the 49ers have taken a, a bigger initiatives this year with fan engagement, with the Brick by Brick online series, um, improvements at Levi Stadium. Can you tell us a little bit about how those things come together and the thought process behind it? Well, to be honest with you, I think uh, I got to give credit to to our business side. Um, you know, everybody that works under Al Guido has really, under his direction and Jed's direction, has really taken uh, to heart to to really go out and listen to the fans and solicit feedback and ask for for information and and um, uh, suggestions, whether it's it's information that's tough to hear or not. Uh, we've got to hear it so that we can continually try to. Uh, service our fans better in every facet, whether that's at Levi Stadium, whether that's through our website, whether that's through social media, um, whether it's on the football side and how we communicate on the football side uh, to our fans and, and allow them to feel more of a connection. And I think that's one thing that, that we all realized is like, hey, look, even when you're going through tough times, you can still try to put yourself out there and bring people closer so that not only do they feel connected, but they understand what you're trying to do, understand that it means so much to everybody in this building. And, you know, it, look, you, you have a rough game and you don't win. You know, that that's, I know the fans take it to heart, but there's nobody that takes it further to heart than the people in this building, because that's what we work every single day towards uh, achieving is a win on Sunday. And, um, you know, by, by asking people their thoughts and asking people for their suggestions, I think we learned a ton over the last, 
you know, two years. I mean, really, and it's, and, you know, we're going to get a lot more feedback when we're losing than when we're winning. So I think there was a lot of information to take in. Um, there's a lot of information to go through, and I really do give credit to our, our business and stadium offsides that they, they, they took it to heart. They learned from it. They made changes to the stadium. They made changes to our approach on digital media, uh, on the website, through social media. And then I'll tell you what, it's, it's great that, you know, I've loved, absolutely loved working with both Kyle and John. They are so open to having conversations and, and taking people's, uh, ideas to heart and listening to them and, and evaluating if it's the right thing or not. It's, if they're not, the, the great thing about having a first time general manager and a first time head coach, they're open to suggestions. They're open. They, they, it, neither of them have done this position before. So they're, they're hungry for knowledge. They're hungry for advice. Um, and they're both, really, really smart, thoughtful people that can look at, you know, the advice and the information they're being given and make good decisions. And and that's that's one of the best things I, I you know, I, I can take away from having worked with these two guys for heck, it's it feels like we've been together for a long time, but it's it's been, you know, less than three quarters of a year, you know, and but but they are. They're very open to doing things and I think brick by brick is the perfect example of that. Um, and, uh, I think our fans, we got a great response from our fans. I think they enjoyed it. I know my kids enjoyed it. Um, so I'm assuming the rest of, uh, rest of our fans enjoyed it too. We definitely have. We definitely have. And you mentioned Lynch and Shanahan and, and there has been more communication with them than in recent regimes. And, and I mean this in the most positive way possible. John Lynch is almost like a politician. He's so good with the media in front of the cameras and he's so positive. He just comes across so well. And with this initiative to be to be more um, involved in the media and talk to the fans a little bit more, how does that come about? Is that an organizational in- initiative? Is that something where um, Kyle and John will say to you, "Hey, you know, we want to be out there. We want to talk to the fans a little bit more." How does how does that come together? Well, look, I, I don't think anything gets started in an organization um, um, and moves forward as as this approach has unless it's coming down from the top. And I don't know if fans know this, but but Jed York has been uh, on the the league's digital media committee for a couple of years now, and he's been in these meetings and he's taken you know he's taken an active approach in terms of how how can we use digital media to connect with our fans. And I think um, it's really trickled down from Jed's interest in that world um, that it's really gone down through our digital content side. And then when you know again when you have a new head coach and a new general manager, you have an opportunity to talk about topics that you may not have talked about for years under a former head coach or a former general manager. So really the door was opened up wide and we knew that, that Jed was very progressive in that, in that realm and wanted to, wanted us to make uh, an impact and, and try to connect with, use that as much as we can to connect with our fans. So knowing that your owner backs it and then um, that you have a very talented group over at 49er studios that, um, that are very good at telling stories. Um, and then you present your head coach and your general manager with that and say, Hey, look, guys, you know, this is an opportunity for us. We've gone through some tough times. Our fans are, we call them the faithful for a reason. It's because they keep coming back and they keep cheering for us and they keep supporting us. You know, this is an opportunity to share a little bit behind the curtain. I mean, we're not completely pulling the curtain back and, and we didn't go the, the full blown hard knocks route. Um, you know, everything was, it, it was really just, Hey, look, look at the personalities. Look at the people that we have in this building. Look at our leadership. We feel really good about them. We feel confident in them. So why not share that with, with folks on the outside? And I think, you know, the other thing too is, is, you know, I, I, I joked with John, I'm like, we don't have to give, give the entire kit and caboodle away. I mean, we can be strategic about what we share. I think our fans are smart enough to know that, hey, when it gets to the regular season and coach doesn't necessarily want to get into scheme or he doesn't necessarily want to give too much information on, on, a, on an injury or too much information on, on you know, uh, how we're going to approach a road trip or, or our first home game. I think fans, at, at, you know, hopefully you can agree with this, Alice, fans would want us to win on Sundays. So if we're going to share information with the general public that puts that win at all at risk, they don't need that. They don't want that. They want just an, they want as much as they can get without putting that win at win uh, on Sunday um, in a in a precarious position. So, um, and they bought in. They completely agreed. Um, I think you, you you know if you've watched Kyle over the last couple months. When he's done press conferences, he I love I tell him I love it when you get into fo- talking football X's and O's because you're like a teacher you you share your thoughts it's, you you can tell that you're excited to share share and educate people and and that's what he's like in the in the meeting rooms with the players but you've also seen that once we hit week one against the Carolina Panthers he peeled back on how much he was going to share and that's for a purpose that's for a reason so hopefully our friend, our fans get that and they appreciate that. 
Now, you've been with the team for almost a decade. Can you pinpoint some of your favorite coaches or players to work with over the years? Um, it's funny, you know, when I think about that, I, I don't want to ever leave somebody out, but, but, you know, I, I mean, I could, I could give you a ton of people that I really appreciated working with because of, you know, whether it's because I thought they were good at what they did or they were just good people. Um, I mean, I could start from the, from the beginning. I, I mean, from the minute I got here, you know, Scott McLuhan always treated me very, very well. Um, Mike Singletary, great, great, great person. I just, I really appreciated him. Um, he was very insightful. He was passionate. Um, and I loved being around him. Um, you know, I think, uh, everybody we saw him this weekend, Frank Gore, um, we call him uncle Frank around the house. My kids, <laughs> he's been, he's believe it or not, he lived in our neighborhood and he's been to our house on, on Christmas. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, he's, he's a special, special guy. Um, you know, uh, that's a t- it's tough. It's like all these names are coming to me. Um, Tori Smith, the couple years that I spent with Tori, I think he's a very special person. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I, I think he's a, he's a great individual. Anquan Bolden, I mean, he's a guy that, that on the field, he was as tough as they come and a huge competitor. And, and then he was just so active in the community and made, made a difference in so many people's lives. Um, you know, how could you not love Justin Smith? I mean, that's a, he's a football player. I mean, it's, it's in every way, uh, being around him, he was, I'll tell you what, he didn't make it easy as the PR guy trying to get him some publicity and trying to get him some love in the media. Cause you know what, every time you'd go to Justin and ask him if he could do an interview, uh, he would do enough. Um, but when it was about, when it was a story, a feature story about him, you know, he, he, he never wanted to do it. He, he'd, he'd rather somebody else talk. He'd rather Paris Harrelson talk or Patrick Willis or Navarro. Um, he always wanted the other guys to get credit. Um, and, uh, I mean, they wanted to put him on the cover of Sports Illustrated one year and he did not want to do the interview because he didn't want to be singled out like that because it was, really? about, it was about the, it was about the team to wow. him. You know, and, and, yeah. you know, that's the kind of guys that you, that you see. Um, Joe Staley has been an awesome guy to work with. Um, you know, I, I, I honestly, I had a great relationship with our, with our last two head coaches, you know, Chip Kelly, great guy. Wish it had worked out. Same thing with Jim Tom Sula. I mean, he was, he was one of the guys that when I first got here, I spent so much time, uh, in his office when, when, you know, after hours just talking football or talking family. Uh, can't wait to see him this weekend. Um, you know, and, and that's the tough thing is that in this industry, you know, it, it is a, a win, win, uh, win based, um, uh, industry. You know, if you're, if you're not winning, things change. And, um, it, that's, a, that's a tough part. Everybody understands it. Um, but, um, and it's, that makes it tough when you, you, you have good people that you work with and they move on for whatever reason. Um, but, I guess the way I look at it is when some good people leave, that means that hopefully there's other good people coming in. And I think you look at the example of Kyle and, and John and the staffs that they have put together. I mean, it is a, it is a group of good people. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot. Uh, I'm sure I've missed some people and hopefully nobody's offended by that, but, but there's tons more, I'm sure. And before we get to the last question, I, I kind of wanted to just piggyback on the Tom Sula thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always thought it was a little bit unfortunate because he wasn't just a good D-line coach. He was a great D-line coach. Mm-hmm. And you saw mm-hmm. the difference that he made. And, and when he left, you saw you saw the difference. And I never felt he got enough credit. And I, I am really excited to see the great job he's doing in Washington because the Redskins are playing well on the defensive front. And I think it has a lot to do with him. So he's somebody that I know definitely the fans always rooted for and still root for. And yeah. Jimmy T, just a great guy. Just a great guy. I, I think I think that's definitely the case. I think there's a lot of people in this building that really like Jimmy. And uh, still, still like Jimmy. I mean, you know, he uh, he's a good person, great family. Um, I'm glad to see him having success uh, in in um, in Washington. Hopefully, they don't have much success this week, uh, <laughs> and it, but it, they, but they have it every other week. Um, you know, and uh, and he's reunited with uh, Greg Minuski, who is here. And if you want to talk about a character, I mean, Greg Minuski is a character. He's a he's a funny, funny guy. And our last question, Bob, you've yep. gone to Super Bowl. You've worked with great players, like you said, Frank Gore, Patrick Willis, Justin Smith. What are some of your favorite memories for working for the 49ers? When, at the end of the day, when you retire, the memories that made you say, wow, that was worth it? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, think, uh, I, I think the greatest memories that I have probably come from that New Orleans Saints playoff game. Um, you know, it, I mean, there's so many things to remember from that one game. Uh, I mean, just the way it started with, uh, with Dante Hittner at the goal line with Pierre Thomas, 
setting the tone for that game. I mean, that game honestly, I think, set the tone for for um, uh, our success in the in the in the following years. Um, I just remember Alex Smith taking off around the end, uh, you know, late in that game. Um, I remember the uh, uh, <laughs> Vernon's catch over the goal line. I mean, I have a photograph in my office. I'm going to look at it right now. <laughs> and somebody snapped a shot. Vernon, you know, I mean, he can't even. It looks like he's. It looks like he's bent over and can't speak. And he's sitting on the bench after that play. After he came to the sideline, and uh, I just happened to go over and slap him on the shoulder pads. And someone took a, a photo of it. And it's one of my favorite photos, I think, of me since I've been here because it, it just reminds me of that game, that moment. Um, another great moment, and I think it's earlier that same year, uh, was when we went back to uh, to Philadelphia, my hometown. And um, we were not playing well early in the game, and we came back and we ended up winning um, that year. And I mean, one of the most miraculous plays I've ever seen. I mean, I thought we we had come back, we were we were going to win that game, and all of a sudden Jeremy Macklin's tearing down the sidelines right right in front of our sideline, and um, out of nowhere comes Justin Smith, 15 yards downfield, and pokes that ball out, and and Deshaun Goldson hops on it and the game's over, and we win, and I think a lot of fans would agree that that game propelled us the next, in the rest of that season, into the playoffs, and probably turned things around for the next three years, so, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, um, and I think the last thing was, would probably be when, when, uh, Navarro Bowman knocked away that ball in front of, uh, uh it's Roddy White, I, rem- I believe, um, in the championship game to send us to the Super Bowl, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm not blessed with a uh, with a with much of a vertical jump, but I think I I think I uh, <laughs> I think I beat my personal best when that happened. I mean, that's just the play to send you to the Super Bowl, knocking a ball away, and and that's it, and you're going to the Super Bowl. I think that's I don't think we could ever forget that one. And, and I I do agree with you, like you said on that Philadelphia game. I think when Justin Smith knocked that ball out, that was momentum that didn't go away. And I don't remember nope. many seasons like that where it could carry, and it, and it really did. It almost carried you guys to Super Bowl that year. So, and and I gotta add, you, you you never know when when a play like that is going to happen that's going to turn into something. And I think you know what if I if I transferred that to to nowadays, you know, to this season, I mean, hopefully we get one of those plays soon that just gets us feeling good and and things snowball from there. And and I think it's coming. I think you know if I'm going to put my PR guy hat on and talk positively about the place, I think we got great leadership, people that are on the same same page, our roster. We've got a lot of young talent there that's that's going to develop and continue to develop. And, um, you know, uh, we've preached uh, patience and, and hard work. And Kyle's got the, the, the banner in inside the locker room doors as we walk in. It's it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And I think um, I think we all got to keep that in, the, in our minds and, and just keep plugging along. And whether you're the PR guy or, or a coach or a player or the general manager or somebody on the business side, I mean, we just got to keep our focus moving forward and appreciate that our fans are here with us along the ride. Yeah, and I think the fans understand that they are very close, you know, when you have four losses by 11 points. And when you have a game like George Kittle had, for example, where, okay, the team's losing, but you see him kind of have that breakout game and you say, okay, this is this process is worth it. You can see this process happening. And when something like that happens, you see that these guys that are here for the long haul are starting to progress. And, and that gives the fans, you know, a little bit of an upbeat attitude as well. And, and the team is close and, and we're excited about where they're headed with coach Shanahan and John Lynch and Bob, thank you so much for the time today. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you very much for everything that you've done for us. Like I said, now that I can tell you on the air, we really do appreciate that you guys have been so accommodating to us at 49ers web zone. And Hey, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Al. And uh, thanks to everybody listening. Keep it, keep it, uh, keep it going. Uh, the 49ers faithful, we do appreciate you and, and, um, and thank you for all your support through the good times and the bad. And hopefully there's plenty more good ones coming up. Definitely. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, Al. Take care. And thank you very much to Bob Lang for joining us. And Bob's awesome to work with. Anytime that we've dealt with him, he's been so accommodating and, and he's been just a really, really great guy to work with. Yeah, and it was it was a great interview. I really enjoyed talking to him and in getting his perspective and in the things he said about John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and, and the renewed emphasis on on fan engagement and of course you know the the players and, and coaches he talked about and some of the cool moments for him. It's it's always great to hear kind of you know what happens behind the scenes and that sort of thing. So so very very cool stuff. Now 
what I first thing I wanted to start off with, and, and we'll get into the game and everything else. I, I, I did want to talk about the Lorenzo Jerome thing because we're both very high in him. And you know, when you talk about how high you are on someone for six months or however long we've been talking about it, and they get waived, and it looks like he's going to end up back on the practice squad. We hope. But I was a little bit shocked. Um, he had played, I think, 20 snaps in this past game. And he's an undrafted free agent. He's so raw. You expect that it's going to take a while to develop someone like that. So I was a little surprised that they cut ties with him already. And, and um, they picked up Dexter McCoyle um, off of waivers to replace uh, Jerome's position. So we'll see what happens with Renzo. You know, who knows with injuries and everything else, we, we could end up seeing him back. And I hope that at some point we do, because I, I still think he's an NFL player. And I still think eventually we are going to see Lorenzo play in the NFL, whether it's with the 49ers or another team. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know Lorenzo, I've talked to Lorenzo and, and spent a little bit of time with him. He's, he has his head on straight and he's going to land with, with a team somewhere. If it's not with the 49ers, he did actually clear waivers. So he is eligible to come back to the practice squad. And I think he would be a wise, a wise signing because just, just listening to him talk and, and listening to his outlook on on life and life with football, it just he gets it. And there, not every guy in the league gets it like he does. So, I I, I was kind of surprised because I I was expecting them to give him more of more of a shot. And I, I honestly, Al, I think it's just a numbers game. I think that with Eric Reed being healthy and and possibly making his return this week, maybe next week, and with the need at corner, Asa Jackson just got just got put on IR, and that's why they brought in that's why they brought in Leon Hall. Who who's a former first round pick of the of the Bengals? So I I really just think it was he was just kind of a victim of the numbers game and and nothing more than that because honestly he really didn't put enough on on tape to be warranting being cut in my opinion because you just didn't see anything like that was that was like egregious so I, I just I just think it was one of those situations with with Reed getting healthy and Jaquaski Tart getting much more of a role on defense I've 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 heard whispers that the front office is really high on him. So um, that that whole scenario kind of gave you what you have with Lorenzo Jerome, and and I do wish him the best of luck. He's a friend of the show, and and I I do wish him the best. And we'll see what McCoyle brings, if anything, in his place. Now, Leon Hall was brought in as well after Jackson's injury, and and they had worked him out early in the off season. And he's a vet, obviously. He's been around for a while. He's had some good years, but I think he's thirty two now, I believe. So he, he's getting up there. I guess, uh, you know, you can hope that he can be, uh, you know, a model and help teach Richard Robinson and, and Dante Johnson and some of these younger guys. I don't know how much he's going to really bring to the field other than a vet presence, especially starting out so late. But listen, the 49ers need help at cornerback, right? Yeah, they do. And the, the corners really strong. Although Richard Robinson had a pretty good game for the most part last game. He did have that crucial penalty in the fourth quarter, but he played a lot better. He, he's he's making baby steps but i feel like they need they do need a steadying presence in that secondary i don't know if you remember like you remember when walt harris signed with the 49ers and he was kind of oh, like sure. yeah yeah everybody thought he was over the hill and everybody thought that he wasn't going to have much in the tank and he actually played pretty well and I, I believe he almost made a pro bowl one of the years that he was here so i think that they're hoping to have that same sort of impact in the secondary because robert salas like the his defense is really really reliant on good corner play and they're kind of out on an island. It's press man coverage, right? You don't really have only one of those guys is going to have safety help over the top because the other safety is in the box. So I think that the reason why they did this was was to kind of get that sort of impact uh, that that Walt Harris br- brought with him when he when he signed earlier in the early two thousands. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, obviously, we're still hoping that Robinson can sort of turn things around. It was a tough, tough beginning of the season for him, and he did play better this past week. And again, there's going to be ups and downs. He's a young cornerback. We've been saying this week in and week out, the, talking about patience. Now, moving on from the cornerbacks to what was a little drama in the game, and that was the situation with Carlos Hyde, where after um, fumbling a pitch and dropping, a, or I'm sorry, missing a blocking assignment he basically got benched um i know shanahan said that he was going with the hot hand but it looks like you know he definitely sat high down for a while looked to be because of those things and in with matt breda breda and he said you know moving forward that you know hides his guy but breda's gonna play so really interesting to see how this how this shakes out moving forward especially when there were some rumors about a contract extension for hide yeah and it's uh, so half of me was like so i'm kind of conflicted on on that whole uh, issue because half of me kind of 
kind of agrees that when a guy makes a mistake, he should, there should be some sort of like repercussion or some sort of reinforcement that, that will help him the next time. And and the example I give is, and I'm not in, in any way comparing the two, but I'm using this as an example. Bill Belichick, when when somebody fumbles the football or, or a punt returner muffs a punt, it even happened to Julian Edelman where he muffed a punt last year and Bill Belichick took him out. He put Dan, Danny Amendola in as a punt returner. And this is talk, we're talking about one of his veteran players, one of his leaders. So I think that it sets kind of a, a, the tone for the rest of the team that you know you, you really have to be at your best all the time. Nothing, is, nothing should be taken for granted. So in that sense, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with it. But in the other sense, like I, I really think that Carlos Hyde fits really well in his offense, and I and I think that the 49ers know that too. I think this is just one of those things where Kyle Shanahan is trying to light a fire under Carlos Hyde and, and trying to get the most out of him. I think Matt Breida is a, a great back. I saw him in practice, and the guy just flies around, and, he, and I think he has a really, really bright future ahead. And He's one of my, my favorite players right now is on the 49ers. I think he can stay healthy and keep, keep uh, progressing, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with it. I'm I'm cool with it, but on the other side, like I I also understand it too. And I'm really interested to see what what happens next week because Hyde, you know, did get a lion's share of the carries. You saw week two, we had 15 carries. Week three, 25 carries. Week four, 16 carries. So he's been getting the touches. We know he's he's been a little bit banged up. So we'll see what happens moving forward. I'm sure he wasn't happy about missing that time and we'll see how Shanahan responds and, and what, what the carries look like in in the next game. But the Bowman situation I thought was interesting too, because they did sit him out for a while, whatever the reasons Shanahan said that he wants to keep him fresh. And I actually agree with that because listen, we saw Bowman on the short week and the Thursday night game against the Rams and he didn't look like himself. He, he looked a bit slow and he's, he played better the following week with the rest. So if they need him over the course of the season and, and they do, He's had a couple major injuries. You know, he, he's getting a little bit older. I like the idea of giving him rest here and there to keep him fresh throughout the season. So if that's what they're doing, I get it. I understand it. I don't know if Bowman gets it. You know, I'm sure he's a competitor and he wants to be out there. But if, if, that, if Shanahan was truthful in his reasoning, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, and I'm a huge Navarro Bowman fan. I love the way he plays. I love his attitude. He's, he's in every sense a leader and a consummate pro. and the Achilles Achilles injuries used to be like a full 12 month thing back about 10 years ago, but technology has advanced to the point and recovery has advanced to the point where these guys are back within, within a year, within six to eight months. So this is clearly one of those things where he looks to be still feeling the effects of that or showing the effects of that. I remember when Michael Crabtree tore his Achilles in that, uh, I believe it was a 2013 season. he, he took. He came back before the season was done. He toured in training camp on the first day, and he came back before the season was done. But he just didn't have that same elevation or explosiveness uh, about him. So I, I really feel like that's part of it. Is that it's going to be a, a longer recovery than people think. But the flip side is that sometimes you do want to give these guys a breather, and sometimes he didn't. He didn't look the same, and he hasn't looked the same since uh, you know since he came back. Even last year, I feel like he was he was performing a little bit better before he got hurt. But I really think, Al, that they're, I don't know, like, it seems like they're, they're almost phasing him out slowly. I mean, I hesitate to say that because I love Navarro and I, and I want him to retire a 49er and I want him to be on this team. But it, it seems like they're kind of setting the stage for, for maybe Ruben Foster to take that Mike position, which is where he's most comfortable. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw when Eric Reed comes back, if you saw three safeties on the field at once and have Jaquaski Tart kind of play in the box as a, as a, undersized linebacker so i think that 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 they do have options and they're kind of setting the stage for something bigger don't you i mean it's it's certainly possible um i agree with you i i think you know ruben foster's natural position is where bowman's playing you know so i i think he might be better off there so if they see that and they want foster to be the centerpiece of their defense and and he's that good you know i know we haven't seen him on the field since week one but he can be that good it'll be interesting to see where they go moving forward but getting into the game itself, you know, listen, we talked about how close these games have been and, and they're right in with the overtime losses and, and the losses by a couple points. Still don't, it's going to be a tough stretch when you're talking the next three games when you're at Washington versus Dallas at Philly. I don't see them getting him a win there. I think 0-8 is a real possibility. So you have to ask yourself, okay, if this team's 0-8, even if 
they have an outstanding second half of the season. You know, one of the end up five and eleven, and, and the odds of them winning five of their last eight games are, are slim. So, what do you look for? What's what's the point of this season? Why watch? Well, for me, on a rebuilding team like this, I think you really want to keep an eye on individual performances. And for me, in week five, is as frustrating as it was and, and will be to me. Seeing what George Kittle did was why you have to stay patient and trust the process. Because mm-hmm. there you were watching this game and watching this tight end who really had struggled in the early going. And, and he struggled in the early going in, in that game where he dropped the pass. And all of a sudden, you know, he goes from these drops to breaking out and making big catch after big catch. What did he have, five drives or five catches on that last drive or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he had seven overall for the day and he has the touchdown. And all of a sudden he has a true breakout game. And when was the last time a tight end had a game like that for the Niners? I, I, if I'm right... I think you got to go back to Vernon Davis in 2014 when he had a couple touchdowns against the Cowboys. I can't think of another 49ers tight end where they had an impact like that in the past couple of years. McDonald had a couple of catches here and there. Um, Selleck might have had a couple of decent games, but can you think of when a tight end had that kind of an impact? No, it's almost like he he was the guy at the end of the game and Brian Hoyer's kind of safety valve. What you really want from a tight end, that's exactly what George Kittle was. I mean, the the touchdown that he scored to to tie the game before the two-point conversion, the, the touchdown that he scored, I mean, that that itself was he ran a slant route. It was there's was a little rub off the off the line from uh, receivers to get him open, but even then, like he ran like a wide receiver's route. And he was quick enough to get the inside catch the ball and have enough athleticism to stretch the ball across the goal line. So that, that to me was, was the most impressive play out of them all. And the fact that he's, he's developing now and developing into that safety net sort of player for the quarterback is it's huge. I think that you, you mentioned the 49ers not maybe, maybe not winning another game for another three weeks, but that's okay because it's not like last year where they're just getting run out of the building every week. It's they're, they're right there. And you can see the progress. You can see guys coming open on on almost every play, whether the quarterback hits them or not. There are still guys open, and the scheme the scheme works. Like this morning, I I was listening to the radio and I heard somebody call in about the scheme not working, and and I have to disagree with that. I think the scheme is working great. I just think it's it's making plays in a timely manner. You see guys getting open all the time. You see a lot of these flashes of of brilliant brilliance in the scheme with a lot of placeholder players. So I can just imagine what what guys like George Kittle and Matt Breida will do with another year of development. And Trent Taylor falls in that category too. I think that he's trying to find a niche on this, on this roster and in this offense. And, and he's probably found that with the short yardage over the middle, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type of play. George Kittle came into this game with 10 catches for 83 yards and he had seven catches for 83 yards. And now he's on the regular season. He's got 70 catches for 166 yards. And of course he scored his, his only touchdown in this game. And and you brought up a good point with, with Trent Taylor and Matt Burita. These guys are getting more looks and more touches. And we didn't see Taylor as much in this game because I think the Niners weren't using three receiver sets to um, get Hoyer some, some help. They got the offensive line, some help blocking for Hoyer. But you've seen Taylor get a lot of targets. And you've seen them go to him in big situations. And now this week you you saw um, George Kittle get thrown into in big situations. And that says a lot. Those are the things that you want to look for moving forward. These are the guys. Listen, it's great if Eldrick Robinson has a great has a nice game. It really is. Eldrick Robinson's probably not going to be on the team next year. So it's more important that George Kittle has a good game. It's more important that Trent Taylor has a good game. And Matt Breed has a good game. These are the guys that you want to continuing to develop. Now, as good as the offense looked towards the end of the game, they did struggle for most of the game again. And that's been a frustrating theme. And two of the reasons for that has been most of the wide receiver play minus Pierre Garcon, because Garcon's been good all year. Um, and of course, the play of Hoyer. And if you listen to the show, you know, I was a little bit concerned about Goodwin and Robinson because they just hadn't done much in their careers. Yeah, I, I, we, I uh, brought you the, the numbers about their targets, and I think Goodwin had caught, it was something like, I have to look at the numbers, but like 111 targets, he had like 44 catches, like his catch percentage was not good. This year, Marquise Goodwin and Eldrick Robinson have combined to catch 21 of 49 targets, which is 42.8%. Now, I understand that that's not all their fault. I understand that Hoyers missed some throws, but when you have two players who really don't have much of a track record, who don't have a hundred career catches between the two of them. And you see that kind of production. It's, it's a red flag. And now after Garcon, where, where do you go for the production? And I know Goodwin had, a, had a very good game. Um, he had five catches for over a hundred yards in this game, 
five catches were on 11 targets. So again, there's that trend of him with the low catch percentage, but you hope it was a bit of a breakout game for him. He did haul in that long pass. And now you have to hope that maybe he's starting to get used to this offense because Shanahan's offense does take time, but it is still a worry with those two. If, if they can really hold the line to being, you know, the second and third and, and fourth options out of the wide receivers. Yeah. And the, the stats that you have for these guys, it's, it's kind of interesting because I do, while I appreciate them, I do kind of think they're misleading. And here's why. So if you look at a guy like, like Jeremy Curley, for example, I saw that you post on Twitter that he has 17 catches on 17 targets, which is obviously a catch percentage of it's a hundred percent. So, and, and you, and you made the comparison to Robinson and Goodwin who who have a 42% catch percentage. I think it's sort of misleading because if you look at the type of routes that Robinson and Goodwin run, they run routes further down the field than Jeremy Curley does. Jeremy Curley is kind of an underneath sort of receiver. He'll do a lot of crossing crossing routes and, and beat the zone coverage underneath and a lot of stuff near line of scrimmage where whereas like Goodwin and, and Robinson, you see more more deep more deep passes to them. Like Hoyer completed a really nice deep ball to to Goodwin where he had a diving catch in the fourth quarter. So I, I think that as and and everybody anybody who knows football knows that obviously as you throw the ball further down the field, your completion percentage progressively drops because you're getting further away from, from the target. So I think that has partly part of it has to do with that. And I think that part of it has to do with what you touched on. Like they, they dropped some balls and Hoyer wasn't able to get them the ball. But I think that it's while it, I wish it was higher as well. And I think it can, it can be higher and there's room for improvement. I, I think that it's, it's not entirely telling the entire story. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I think that's fair too. And somebody, it's funny, somebody on Twitter asked me, you know, like, because, you know, I, I throw a lot of stats out there. They said, Al, why do you throw stats out there? And I said, specifically to get people thinking, you know, for conversations like we're having right now, like, I'll put out a stat where, okay, the catch percentages for Robinson and Goodwin aren't good. And then I put a stat about Curly and, and, and he gets fans talking. You know what I mean? They can draw their own conclusions from that. And you just brought up a really good mm-hmm. point. You know, when you look at the stats, what kind of routes are they running? Curly's 17 out of 17, but I, I mean, I think he's averaging, and I'm going to look that up, but I think he's averaging less than 10 yards a catch. So yeah, he's definitely running these shorter routes and, and catching passes that are four or five yards off the field, or off the line of scrimmage, where, like you said, Robinson and Goodwin are, are more downfield. And yeah, Curly's got 17 catches for 132 yards this year, so 7.8 yards per catch. So, you know, he's getting thrown to very short passes, which obviously you're going to have a much higher catch percentage. Um, I still think Curly would have helped this year. I was still surprised they let him go. But again, mm-hmm. if you're all about development this year and you want Trent Taylor on the field, I get it. You know, it, he's if yeah. if you weren't concerned about wins, and I don't know that they really were, I think they were more concerned about development this year than, yeah, you want to see Trent Taylor out there. Speaking of development, I want to ask your opinion. Obviously, Hoyer struggles for three quarters or whatever it was, and, and then he he kind of lights it up at the end. Do you think he bought himself more time with that, or, or do you think Beathard is inevitable just because this team is going to be 0-8-1-7, and, and what's going to be the point after the bye? Um, I definitely think he bought himself more time, and he, he played a pretty, a pretty good game. There, was, there were ups and downs, but that's kind of what Brian Hoyer is. Like he, is. he is what he is. This is what he's been his entire career, so he did, he did a great job of getting... I mean, that last drive before the end of the game was, was fantastic. Like They not only scored and tied the game, they also took pretty much the entire clock. And this is the second time they've done it. They did it against the Rams too. And then, and then the defense had a, had a little, uh, you know, hiccup at the end and, and the Rams were able to win. But I, I was pretty impressed by that. I was, I, I kind of looked at that. And I'm like, man, I, I wish they would play like that all the time. And one thing I will say about the 49ers with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan that we've seen already is that they're full on into developing players they're not hesitant to start rookies they're not hesitant to give rookies the ball like one thing jim harbaugh he he didn't really do that with rookies he didn't really throw rookies into the mix he 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 liked his veteran players so i I give credit to this front office that they're that they're willing and, and able to do that because while the losses are piling up in the short term the long term success of these guys will will be i think their their career arc will be better because like you said they're getting balls and and crucial situations and games. So, um, but, but, but I digress on that. You know, that's another, that's a topic for another time, but you know, Brian Hoyer himself, I think eventually you'll see CJ Beathard. You will. I I just think that they're going to get curious and, and in the theme of development, they're going to want to give him the ball at some point. So it's not a knock against Brian Hoyer. I just think that 
like you said, when they're when they're losing all these games and they're trying to develop players, I feel like CJ is probably going to get. I think if the Washington game ends up being a blowout, I think that he may come into the fourth quarter. Same goes for Dallas. I think that he'll get probably get a start or two when the 49ers come home. They have five of the last eight games at home. So to answer your question, I think that CJ is going to start at some point. We'll see him, but I, I don't think it's going to be till closer to the end of the season. These are going to be really tough games, the next three games. Yeah. And I'm not sure how good Hoyer is going to look. And you hit the nail on the head where you're like, he makes some of these throws and you're like, wow, why can't he do that all the time? You know, the throw to Goodwin was just a great throw down the field. And he, he makes some passes and you're like, wow, look at this guy. If he can only be consistent with this, but look how long he's been in the league. There's a reason he's a journeyman quarterback. It's because he, he's not consistent with that. You know, he shows flashes, but there's no consistency. So I still believe that as long as he's ready, as long as Beathard is progressing and isn't going to go out there and, and, you know, if they're not going to stun his development by putting him out there, I really believe he's going to start after the bye. I do. They're probably going to be 0-8. You get the bye, you have five of your next eight at home. At that point, what are you waiting for? You know, put, yeah. put him out there, see what he's got. And, and I thought Shanahan kind of left the door open for Beathard a little bit in his comments. And we'll see if it goes anywhere. But at 0-8, again, what's what are you what are you waiting for what what's the point what's the point can you playing hoyer now if hoyer goes out there and plays really well the next three weeks okay i can see the leash being a little bit longer but listen gonna be tough games gonna be really tough games two games on the road phillies i, I like the eagles a lot this year i think they're really good um and you have to wonder if um this week obviously it's kirk cousins bowl right so there's a bit a lot of talk about that um but we'll see with the Redskins. Um, I'm interested to see how Cousins, maybe he's uh, going to go out and try to show off a little bit, right, for maybe his future head coach. I can, I can see that happening, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, I, I can also see him maybe trying too hard, too. So this is, this is one of those things where this is basically the buzz behind this game is that this might be a future reunion between Cousins and, and Kyle Shanahan. And Kirk Cousins, he, he's putting together quietly a, a pretty decent year. And I think that in in a way that's not so great for the 49ers because that dri- that drives up his market value but Scott McLuhan this week was quoted as saying he where he doesn't know where Kirk Cousins is going to go next year he doesn't know what Kirk Cousins will do so the fact that that door is left open and the fact that the the Redskins aren't committing to him beyond this year uh it, it it's kind of telling to me and i'm on the fence about getting getting a, a veteran quarterback and trying to win now versus drafting a rookie quarterback and letting him develop. So I'll, I'll kind of make that decision when, when we're closer to the draft. But this is, like you said, the Kirk Cousins Bowl. The Niners fans who don't see a lot of Kirk Cousins, this is your chance to kind of see what this guy can do. So I, I think that they'll make a play for him in the offseason, and they'll, they'll definitely kick the tires. But we'll see. We'll see what that price tag is, and we'll see what John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, and Adam Peters, and Martin Mayhew, what, what those guys decide what they want to do with, with the cap money that they have. I'm kind of right now, I, I, I think the team is close, and I want that veteran quarterback. Um, that's sort of how I feel. The draft is such a crapshoot, and you, you never know what kind of QB you're going to get. It's a good thing to have a head coach that really knows quarterbacks because you feel like you know he's, he's going to know what he's doing when he takes QB. Um, mm-hmm. Did you watch Trubisky play the other night? Did you see any? Yeah, of that I game? caught a bit of it. I caught a bit of it, and he's he showed some flashes, and like, he had some good throws, and he had the the, the touchdown pass that was well, the the Bears had that touchdown catch that was tipped and everything. But he looked he he did look like a rookie. He completed about fifty percent of his passes and mm-hmm. and through the the game the game ending pick, but he did show some flashes, and I think that that's what the Bears wanted. And he was never a guy like, like you look at Deshaun Watson and what he's doing. I felt like Deshaun Watson was actually the better quarterback. And I was hoping half, half hoping that the 49ers would, would draft him. But Trubisky is kind of a, he's more of a developmental guy. They they knew that he's going to take some time um, to develop. So Mike Glennon was just not getting the job done for them. So I, I think that for them, not only, from a future standpoint, but also like a cap standpoint, because Mike Lennon has that huge contract. It made sense to start Trubisky and, and just kind of and, and just kind of make the move. And I think that once one one rookie quarterback starts, you kind of see other teams following suit. Because it just takes that one one team to kind of 
kind of make that move and the other teams like all right well they're they're doing it so mm-hmm. maybe we'll start we'll start doing that too so i think that you'll see more and more of, of the young guys uh starting you look at at the browns too they benched deshaun kaiser so it's it's all kind of happening at once and i think that you're going to see the 49ers eventually uh, make a switch as well when i was watching trubisky like and i know he's developmental and i don't even know how high i am on him but i thought he played pretty well considering i mean the bears have nothing around him but you watch him play and you watch it with the bootlegs and everything and that he's mobile he looks like a kyle shanahan quarterback to me <laughs> you know he looks like he a does. quarterback that, that would fit good in the system but obviously kyle wasn't big on him the one that stings for me right now is deshaun watson because this guy's a superstar. Yeah. He's got 10, 10 total touchdowns in the last two weeks. And um, in week three, he goes in New England and puts up 33 points and should have won that game. The guy's a superstar. He looks like an absolute superstar. I know the Texans do have pieces on offense. They have Will Fuller healthy now and obviously DeAndre Hopkins and um, Lamar Miller and, and Foreman. They have, a, they have a pieces around him, so I get it. But you watch him play and, man, I just hope 10 years from now, we don't look back and say, what were the Niners thinking? You know, yeah. Trubisky's a good quarterback yeah. and Watson's a superstar. You're just like, what were they thinking? Cause you've seen the Cleveland Browns do it year after year where they just, they pass on these quarterbacks. Like they could have had Goff and once once looks like a stud Goff's having a good year. Um, and they're sitting there with no quarterback again. So uh, I know Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. I'm, I'm very confident that they're going to get the quarterback of the future next year. Um, I, I just hope that, this past draft doesn't come back to bite him. I don't think it will. I, I do think Watson's going to be a stud. Trubisky, we'll see. But I do believe Shanahan knows what he's doing. And listen, let's see C.J. Beathard out there. Maybe Beathard will surprise people, and we'll be talking about him in Week 14, saying, "Wow, you know, where did C.J. Beathard? He's right. You know, he's in the conversation to start for the Niners next year." So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, man, Deshaun Watson. Wow, what a player. Yeah, and I think that that the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from this season and watching these guys and, and last season as well with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff going, uh, going at the top of the draft respectively. I think what the biggest takeaway would be is that you shouldn't hesitate to draft a, a rookie quarterback early in the draft. And the reason why is because nowadays you look at the offense, uh, offenses that teams run and the rules of the game and all of those things, they favor offense, they favor quarterbacks. So it's, I don't want to say it's easier than ever to develop quarterbacks, but it's easier than ever to develop quarterbacks because, because of all of those things. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that next year they get the quarterback position sorted out. But if you look at all of those guys, Al, if you look at all of those rosters, every single one of those rosters has some sort of piece around the quarterback, whether it's Jared mm-hmm. Goff with Todd Gurley or Carson Wentz. And he has, he has a bunch of different offensive pieces with Darren Sproles and, and he has he has some good receivers and with Alshon Jeffrey now and and you look at Deshaun Watson he has DeAndre Hopkins who I who I love by the way I think he's going to be a free agent next year too but DeAndre Hopkins has you know he's a top five receiver they resigned they and, they they extended him oh did they I, okay yeah, it, yeah. it must have been earlier this year so yeah. I mean DeAndre Hopkins is is awesome I, I'm a big fan of his and you know you look at these guys and and. Yeah, Trubisky has Jordan Howard at running back. So every single one of these guys has a blue chip player somewhere on the offense that they can get the ball to. So I'm I'm cool with the 49ers waiting on on the last draft because the last thing that you want to do is throw a throw a rookie into a bad situation that they have nothing around him. And that's exactly what happened to Deshaun Kaiser and pretty much every other Browns quarterback the last 20 years. So it's important that they build the rest of the roster first. And I think they're heading in the right direction. I did too. I did too, for sure. And that brings me to my game ball actually this week as far as heading in the right direction. I brought it up in um, the play of George Kittle, and he's going to get my game ball um, for the Niners in week five. Just It was a breakout performance. Like I said, I hope this is the tip of the iceberg. I hope they keep him involved in the offense because, listen, if he plays like that, you know he's the best tight end this team's had since, since Davis. If, if he can continue that kind of production, and as I said earlier, we haven't seen a tight end play that kind of a game where he was a difference maker sits Vernon Davis in a long time. So Kittle's going to get my game ball. And I know we said DeForest Buckner would, would not get game balls every week. He did have a half sack and he was dominant again, but he's not going to get my game ball this week though. And this is the only time this year that I'm going to do something like this. But I think that the person that gets my game ball is going to be on the other team. And that's going to be Frank Gore. And Frank Gore just passed or just went to the top six on the NFL all-time rushing list. He's, he's gunning for the top six. He had, he had uh, 12, uh, 14 carries for 48 yards, and he has the third most 
uh, he's he's number three on the list of people with forty or more yards. Um, so it's more of a sentimental pick than anything, honestly, Al. But it just it was just so nice to see him and and hearing him talk about the Forty ers after the game and before you were on the conference call during the week. And and he just bleeds the Forty ers He loves the team. He he sought out Jed York after the game, and I personally love the guy. And I I'm so sad that he didn't get a ring already. And I and I hope that he signs with somebody who will. So Frank Gore gets my game ball. And he was great on that conference call. He gave heartfelt answers. You know, he was asked if, if he was kind of bitter the way things ended. And he was truthful. And he said at the time he was, you know, the way things ended with the 49ers. But he, he said he, he, he bleeds 49ers. He was there for a decade. And I thought it was cool. That one part that was like a brief pause in the questions. And, and he said, you know, what do you guys think of the 49ers? You know, he, he has asked a question. You know, where do you think they're headed? And you could tell he does, he, he does really care about this team and, and listen to me, the guy's a hall of famer. Um, he is yep. one of the most underrated running backs to me in, in NFL history. He's probably mm-hmm. going to retire in the top five rushing, you know, knock on wood, he stays healthy. Um, the 49ers should retire his number. I know they don't retire a lot of numbers, but they should retire Frank Gore and Patrick Willis in, mm-hmm. in my mind. I think both those guys are hall of famers. I think Willis is a hall of famer too. I don't care that he played seven and a half years to me. He was mm-hmm. dominant. So yeah, I, that's, that's awesome. You know, that, that's a good look on your part to um, give him the game ball because what he's doing at, at 34 years old, you know, he's not a 1200 yard a year rusher anymore, but he's still a good contributor. And he's one of the best players in, in, in 49ers history. He's, yeah. he's that good. Um, so to see him out there, you know, I don't think he's one of those guys. It's like, I'll never get used to him in another uniform. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll never, he's been on the Colts for what, three years now. I'll just, I'll never get used to seeing him. In a, in a Colts uniform, to me, he's just, you know, just embodies that red and gold. Um, yeah. You know, he's just that fantastic. So, well, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. For one more state, I wanted to get out there about Gore. Um, so, out of in 49ers history for rushing, okay, the only players in team history with multiple 1,100 yard seasons, so 1,100 yard ru- yards rushing in a season, Charlie Garner, Garrison Hurst, and Frank Gore, okay? Garner did it twice. First did it twice. Frank Gore did it seven times. Wow. And he's, I mean, so, and that's like, you know, you look at Jerry Rice's records and I think 1,150 yards, um, only four players in 49ers history did that. And Rice did it 11 times. And the next mm-hmm. closest was Owens with, with three. Um, so when you look at Gore again, he's, he's one of those great 49ers. He did things that no one else has come close to do. So it's, it's mm-hmm. he just, I, I consider it, I could do a whole show on Frank Gore. I really could. Yeah, same. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe we should do that one day, but when he retires, when his, when his career is all said and done, we should, and hopefully our podcast will still be on at that point. Cause he looks like he can play for another two or three years. But when he, when he does that, we should devote a show to Frank Gore. Yeah. We should get him on, should try to get him on. I'm going to, yeah, we'll do everything awesome. in our power to uh, get in touch with his agents or his representatives or whoever it is and, and get him on. That would be fantastic to have him on. That would be great. That would be great. So Al, we gotta we gotta end off the show with our weekly predictions. Yeah, and I was yet again I was wrong. And one of these weeks I'll be right. You know, one of these weeks it's a fifty fifty chance, right? And it, the law of averages is is failing me right now. So um, this week, uh, unfortunately, I think that you know the the task is is really daunting. And Kirk Cousins is definitely going to be out to prove something. And Washington is looking pretty good right now. They hung in there. They hung in there with Kansas City a couple of weeks ago and almost beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. And the Chiefs, in my opinion, are the best team in football right now. So, and record-wise, they are the best team in football. So, I think that Washington will will win this one. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as close as we as we've seen. I, I think that this will probably be a, a defeat by more than by more than three points, maybe maybe a touchdown. Um, and and I'm going to say the 49ers drop another one this week. What about you? I don't think it's going to be pretty this week. Uh, I, the, the Niners have been close and you know should have won a few of these past games here but to me this is going to be a tough one on the road one o'clock in washington i think they're gonna have a tough time covering um chris thompson of the backfield i can see terrell Pryor kind of breaking out this week and i really do believe cousins wants to go out there and put on a show i, I really believe that um sort of be uh you know a dress rehearsal for him in front of kyle shanahan i, I do believe that it, i think he's going to want to throw the ball a lot so i can see this week like a 27 30 to 
13, 17 type game. Um, hope that's not the case. You know, I, I hope, I think the Niners are going to come out one of these weeks and, and surprise somebody. One of the wins they get this year is going to be a complete shock. I still really feel that it could be this week. Who knows? But I'm going to go with Washington kind of big in this one, unfortunately. Yeah. And you hear people kind of jumping ship and saying, oh, it's going to be an own 16. It's not going to be an own 16. No, season. no, 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 it's no. Not. I don't think so. Like, think back on, to right? the year. I think it was Alex Smith's rookie year where they had only had one or two wins and towards the end of the season, like they won the last two games. It was the year they lost yeah. out on um, Reggie Bush. Yeah, I remember that. that, that the, season. the Reggie Bush so. Bowl wa- lost to the Texans on, or won against the Texans in the last game of the season to give yeah. the Texans re- to, to give them Mario Williams. <laughs> that was funny. I, I think it'll be like one of those years where, where they end up getting a few wins at the end of the year. I really feel that. Five out of the last eight at home. Um, they've come so close. I'd still think maybe three, four. I think they can maybe get three, four wins. I do. I know it's right now that sounds insurmountable, but I believe it could still happen at the end of the season. You could see them get some momentum and maybe go win three out of their last five. Not that that's momentum, but um, when you're zero and eight, winning three out of your last five is is pretty good. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they do that to end the season. Yeah, I mean, they're the best 0-5 team I've ever seen. I'm not saying that as a joke. I really mean that. This is the team that's not getting yeah. their door. They're not, even, they're not getting their doors blown off every week. They're like right there. They're one or two plays away from winning a lot of games. So they're, they are the best 0-5 team I've ever seen. They're, they're competitive. You know, the, most of the time they're fun to watch and, and they're in every single game. So they're going to they're gonna get the, the ball to bounce their way one of these weeks. And we look at Carolina now, even that first week and listen, I mean, would they lose 23 to three? It's not like, but they hung in with them for a while. They did, And, yeah. you know, the air kind of went out of the building when Ruben Foster got hurt, but they did hang in there. And Carolina re- looks really good. Mm-hmm. They have a really good defense and, and they're going to be there at the end of the season. So this isn't last year where they were getting their doors blown off. You know, this isn't 2015 where they were getting their doors blown off. They're right there. So again, as frustrating as it is, you got to at least disrespect this process and, and see that things sort of are moving in the right direction. And it's glaring because, okay, the quarterback's not playing well, and that's going to make everything kind of look maybe worse than it is. Um, but if he could find any kind of consistency, any kind of consistency, they're going to surprise some people. And, and listen, Bill Walsh lost his first seven games, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So not saying Kyle Shanahan's going to be Bill Walsh, but Kyle Shanahan's a smart dude, and he's a heck of a coach, and players compliment him on how smart he is. and you know, Bob Lang said, you know, he's a teacher and he is, um, it's just, it's really, he's going to be a good head coach. Niners are going to get there. So look for these individual performances. Hope they can steal a few wins, try to stay positive because this team is headed in the right direction. And, and I can't agree with you more. And it just seems like they have a bunch of people who, who get it that, that are high up and, and the players and the coaching, everybody buys in. I don't, I don't sense a, any any sense of panic around the team that they're zero and five or anything? They they know they're close. They know that the 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 ball will bounce their way one day. So it's just a matter of of kind of keeping their nose at the grindstone. And and I don't want to be too cliche, but really just putting themselves in the best position to succeed and and to to grow as much as possible. So with that being said, another week in the books, Al, and hopefully the 49ers can get over the hump soon. So for Al Sacco, this is Zane Nakvi. And you've been listening to the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. See you guys later. Thanks, everybody.